Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And on today's episode, I am stoked to be talking with my friend Ryan Gray, who is a doctor and who is the founder of a site called medicalschoolhq.net, which is all about helping students get into med school and go along the path to becoming a doctor, whatever kind of doctor they want to be. Uh, So this episode is going to be all about that process, and we're going to specifically focus on the process of going from like late high school, choosing your major. Uh, We're going to talk about like what major choices are ideal for going into med school, and hint, it's not as of a restricted list as you might think it is. And then we're going to talk about the interview process, shadowing, the MCAT, uh, the study techniques that work for the MCAT, and the actual interview process uh, when when you're actually interviewing for a med school that has accepted your application. So that's what we're going to cover in this episode. You're going to get a bit of Ryan's story. And I think in the future, we may do a follow-up episode that will focus a bit more on the actual med school experience as well. But Ryan's got two different podcasts on his site. One of them focuses on pre-meds. The other focuses on med students. So if this is something you're interested in, Ryan's got like hundreds of podcast episodes with more detail. And I'll have them all linked up in the show notes, which you can find over at CIGpodcast.com. Click the episode 94 link on the page to get to this episode's particular notes. And there you will find everything that I said I would link to. I took a lot of notes for this episode, so I'll try to get it all linked up in those uh, show notes, scholarship opportunities, um, MCAT resources, all that kind of good stuff. Also, you'll find ways to rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you want to support it. That's always really cool. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to get into this interview. Ryan's path to becoming a doctor was actually pretty non-traditional. He likes to call it traditional and non-traditional at the same time, but uh, interesting enough, interestingly enough, I can't talk sometimes, he majored in exercise and sports science, and that eventually found, uh, you know, guided him to becoming a doctor. So it's kind of a different path than a lot of people take, and I'm interested to dig into it. Last thing I want to talk about in the intro real quick before we get into this episode is the community, because uh, last week, I officially launched the community, I put up the video about it, I'm really excited about it, and today, I uh, turned on my computer, I logged into Reddit, it's just going to probably be part of my... Uh, my uh, my routine going forward for better or for worse and today we are a trending subreddit on the front page of reddit right at the top there's a little section that says trending subreddits there's five there and r slash college info geek is one of them which is freaking awesome had no idea that was going to happen but it looks like right now there are 297 people currently on the subreddit looking at all the posts there and 1300 people total have subscribed to it So the community is really growing. People are asking questions. People are providing their knowledge. They're commenting on the video threads. Uh, They're they're requesting topics for new videos and podcast episodes, and I could not be more stoked. So if you haven't checked out the community yet, you can go over to collegeinfogeek.com slash community, and you can subscribe. It's super easy to create an account. That's one of the reasons I chose Reddit for this, and I would just love to see you there. There's a lot of great stuff there, and I'm really excited to see where it goes in the future. Anyway, I'm going to quit blabbering on in this intro, and we are going to get right into the meat of this interview. 
All right, Ryan, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Thomas. Yeah, for sure. So I haven't done an episode about med school or anything medical related since episode 26 of the podcast. And um, that one was really popular. I had a guy who was in med school at the time. And I mean, you're like the guy on the internet for people wanting to go to med school and for anyone having questions around that area. So really happy to have you on the show. And I want to go over kind of the whole process of getting into med school. And I would like to start kind of actually like near end of high school area so we can be comprehensive about it. But first, I'm curious, like you're a doctor, but what's your story? How'd you get to where you are now? I I started out initially wanting to be a physical therapist. I, I grew up in Southern California playing baseball, thought I was going to be a professional athlete. I, I don't think I was ever that good. I just thought I was going to be. <laughs> um, ended up moving to Florida, hurt my shoulder uh, during winter ball because I, I went out and pitched a couple innings without ever like doing anything before the game. And uh, just I couldn't throw anymore after that. So I went through a mm-hmm. whole stint of, of physical therapy. And I was like, this is pretty cool. If, if I can't be a professional athlete, I can help others become professional athletes. And so that was kind of the journey of physical therapy, uh, my, my physical therapy journey. I shadowed a physical therapist and she said, if you're smart enough to get into PT school, you might as well be a doctor. I, I guess at that time, physical therapy school was really hard to get into. Okay. And uh, so... I, right around that same time, senior year of high school, I dissected a cat and I was hooked from there. I, uh, I was bringing in my own power <laughs> tools from home. I was going in off, in off hours. Just any time I could get to go and, and dissect this cat, I, I just had a blast. And so that was when I realized that, that I wanted to cut people for a living. And oh my gosh. Yeah. That sounds, and they, the way you they, said that makes it sound <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> Yeah. People ask me, why do you want to be a doctor? I want to cut people. Um, oh my gosh. So the, the, the human anatomy, just anatomy in general, is just, it fascinates me. And that's the way I think. I think kind of visually, three-dimensionally. And so it, it just came very naturally to me. So I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I, I mixed that love of sports and that rehabish kind of um, start of physical therapy and, and said, you know what, I'll, I'll be a, an orthopedic surgeon. Okay. And so I went to University of Florida, knew, knew that I wanted to, to go to medical school. So I, I was an exercise physiologist in, in uh, college. I didn't do the typical, quote unquote, pre-med major of biology or chemistry. Exercise physiology fit my uh, passions better. Okay. And um, applied to medical school and didn't get in. And there's a whole, I, I skipped a bunch of stuff in there, which kind of led to what I'm doing now, but uh, didn't get in the first time figured out what I was missing and reapplied and got into med school. I had the Air Force pay for me. So I was a an active duty Air Force flight surgeon for five years. Really? Uh, the, Air, the Air Force said, we don't need you to be an orthopedic surgeon, but we want you to be a flight surgeon. And at the time I was like, what the heck is a flight surgeon? Uh, do you operate on the plane? I don't understand. Dude, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that that's. I mean, it's cool, right? <laughs> Best title in the world, but totally overblows what, what, you really do. It's an awesome job. I loved it. Uh, I thought I was going to be a flight surgeon for a career in the Air Force. Um, you're a family practice doc, basically, for pilots, for air traffic controllers, people that have really vested interest in what they do around planes. Yeah. So how many years did you say you were a flight surgeon for? Five years? So I was a, a flight surgeon for five years, yeah. Okay, so give me the timeline here. You were in undergrad for four, right? Undergrad for four. Okay, and then... Did you, so you applied to med school once and then you got, you didn't get in, you applied again. Yep. Was that I, second application still during your undergrad career? 
No. So I applied. I took some time off. I, I moved to Colorado, hung okay. out for a little while, figured out what was wrong with my application, fixed that. Okay. And applied two years later. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I skipped a cycle in there. So what were you doing then uh, during that like couple of years? Uh, I was doing the best thing that I thought I could do to prepare me for a career in orthopedic surgery, and that was carpentry. <laughs> really? I uh, I was a, a home remodeler, handyman. Um, yeah, it was very interesting. Okay, interesting, cool. And you, so you weren't in the Air Force at this time, right? I was not. No, the Air Force thing comes along once you get into medical school. Gotcha. Okay, so undergrad, and then a couple of years off working. Uh, and then the second time you applied, is that like right at the same time you joined the Air Force? No. So the when the Air Force scholarship, which is how I went to medical school, it's the HPSP scholarship, the mm-hmm. Army, Navy, and Air Force all offer it. Uh, you can't officially apply for that until you have an acceptance. So it's a little backwards. Gotcha. Um, I, I guess they just they don't want to waste their time on people that, that aren't going to get in, which makes sense. Okay. Huh. So you applied. Uh, you got in. So what were some of the things that you needed to fix with your application? Because since this was after undergrad, it's not like you could go back and fix your grades, right? Correct. Yeah. So my grades were good. And let me go back and fill in a little bit of that. I, I, I mentioned I skipped earlier. Okay. My, my pre-med advisor told me not to apply to medical school, uh, not because I had bad grades, not because my MCAT was atrocious. Uh, but but because I was a white male, <laughs> so I uh, I kind of stopped seeing her after that. Okay. Uh, because the that 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 advice just didn't make sense. Um, yeah. And so yeah, so I I navigated the waters by myself. I had a group of other friends that were pre med students with me, and so we we tried to figure it out all on our own. And the biggest thing that I was missing was shadowing. Uh, and shadowing a physician means you're basically. Uh, their shadow. You're a fly on the wall to experience what life is like as a physician. And without that, medical schools aren't really sure you understand you know what you're getting into. And so they want to make sure that you have really experienced uh, as best you can what what being a physician physician really means. Uh, a lot of students watch Grey's Anatomy, they watch Scrubs, they watch ER, and they're like, ooh, I want to be that. <laughs> um, that's really not what medicine's like. Scrubs is probably the most realistic of them all, uh, funny enough. But uh, yeah, yeah, I always kind of figured because House was like, it always just seemed so unrealistic to me. Yeah, like the doctors yeah. were doing so much of the work that doctors <laughs> don't do, and like it's, yeah, the, it's always lupus. And <laughs> the the doctor is the radiologist, the MRI tech, the surgeon. The yeah, they do it all. Yeah, Appar- apparently they're board certified in everything. And then in Scrubs, like the two main characters, they're not doctors, are they? I guess I haven't watched very much Scrubs. I, I, I haven't watched much Scrubs either. I just know enough of it that, that it's the most realistic. Gotcha. Dude, it was the same kind of thing for me, though, because like I grew up wanting to go into IT because like of what I saw in the Matrix and stuff like that, <laughs> like, or like hacker movies, like I'm going to be that guy. And then it's it's not the same. <laughs> Did you have a cool pair of shades? Like, uh, the... I didn't have a cool pair of shades because I think those shades are not actually that cool, but... <laughs> I did uh I did do my best to turn my dorm room during my freshman year into like that crazy battle station with all the monitors. That's I think awesome. I had monitors strung up to the corners of my loft bed and I think I ended up with like four monitors at one point. Yeah, with a screensaver of all the green letters falling down. I could never get that to work. <sighs> I mean I was never like that into the matrix, but 
I always just thought like, yeah, it, was, it would be really cool to just be this, you know, super badass guy who works all these crazy systems and hacks stuff. And, and I didn't end up doing that. <laughs> That's awesome. So shadowing, uh, is that something you have to set up yourself then? For the most part, yeah. And it's one of the biggest questions I get from students is where can I find somebody to shadow? And okay. it's hard. Uh, what you need to do is you need to go out and find somebody. Uh, emailing positions, uh, emailing offices, calling offices and saying, hey, I'm a pre-med student. I need this. Uh, can you help me? And typically what students do is they just send a, a template email to physicians mm -hmm. and physicians read that and they throw it out. You need to find something in the physician that interests you. Why is it that you want to shadow this specific physician? And right. you put something personal in it, the physician is more likely to read it and more likely to respond positively to you. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds almost like it's like applying for a job. It little, is. It is. Or or you can do what I did. And my mom got me my shadowing position. Uh, she <laughs> she was she was going to the orthopedic surgeon's office for some some neck pain, I think it was. Okay. And she asked, she's like, hey, my son's pre-med and needs somebody to shadow. And they're like, sure, give him our number. Gotcha. Okay. So you shadowed after undergrad then? I shadowed after undergrad. So and it's I, like I think it was that shadowing experience that that ultimately got me into medical school because I was able to get I was able to build a great relationship. I was shadowing this guy two days a week for many, many months. Um, he wrote me in an outstanding letter of recommendation. So I think uh, I, I'm not able to see the letter of recommendation, unfortunately. But yeah, um, I, I got an acceptance. So all I can say is, yeah, that was why. That's awesome. It's so cool to hear like you have a totally non-traditional kind of path to medical school. You know, shadowing it's, it's a, a non-traditional traditional path. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I mean, you did go through undergrad and you did go to med school, but. It's interesting. To like, I think a lot of people think that you have to go and then immediately go to medical school, medical school right after, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, let's talk about med school itself. Um, what else went into the process of getting in other than the shadowing? Like, what does the application all entail? The application is is brutal. Uh, it's so so obviously the the foundational things like having good grades and having a good MCAT score. I think too mm -hmm. many students put too much weight into that. Okay. Uh, they they think, oh, I have to have perfect grades. I have to have the perfect MCAT score, and it's just not true. Um, in an application, the admissions committees are looking for diverse students, diverse populations that will add something to their incoming class if they if they accepted all 4.0 students that had 528s on the MCAT, I think that's the new high high score for the MCAT. Mm -hmm. um, they they just changed their scoring system. Uh, so if they if they hire if they accepted all of those people, the class wouldn't be very fun. And what we're finding with research is that those students don't actually make the best physicians because they typically are missing other things like personalities and communication skills. Yeah. And uh, and I'm stereotyping a little bit. Obviously, all great students are, uh, are not um, antisocial people. But um, so, so they're looking for uniqueness. And, and I think that's something that students often overlook is they go, okay, I, I have this checklist of things that I need to do. I need to take all these courses. I need to take the MCAT. I need to have this type of shadowing experience. I need to have this sort of volunteer experience. I need to do Habitat for Humanity to show X, Y, Z. And, and there are, there's 60 plus thousand students that apply to medical school every year. And many of those have everything that you just mentioned, like that, or I just mentioned. 
um, they, they, and so all the applications tend to blend together. And yeah. so when you get somebody that has had taken a year off of school and done a, a, a mission trip somewhere, uh, or taken a year off of school and, and just went and learned a language in another country or done just something different, it stands out so much more. And, and as I'm talking to students and I do mock interviews with students and, and hear back from them after they go on their real interviews, they go, you know what? You were right. It, it was that uniqueness that they wanted to talk about the whole time. They didn't care about anything else. They just wanted to find out more about me and my path and my story that made me different. Dude, this is like shifting my perception of med school so much because it's actually interesting. This is kind of right in line with what I heard from Ryan. He told me that he didn't have perfect grades. I think he had like a 3.6 GPA or something like that. Didn't That's have good. a perfect MCAT. And yet... um he got interviews at like, I think it was like nine out of the 10 schools he applied to. And like several of them accepted him because he had done doctors without walls. And he'd done, uh, he'd had a blog that kind of like blogged about the life of a medical student. And I uh, just done all these things that kind of made him unique. But you know, for the longest time I've kind of, I've always said like, this is what you need to do to get a job. You know, you need to be unique. You need to have experiences that set you apart and you don't just need to be checking boxes but I've always tempered it with this like, okay, but if you're like going to go to medical school or going to go to law school, your grades do matter a lot more. And I mean, here you are telling me that it's more similar to the job world that I've been talking about for years than I thought it was. So that's really interesting. I, I'm not going to lie. Grades matter. Mm -hmm. MCAT matters because when a, when a medical school gets 6,000 applications for a hundred seats, they need some way of filtering those applications. And typically, they'll start to filter by MCAT, GPA, and, and start at the top of the best MCAT, the best GPA, and go down. Okay. And as soon as they're out of spots for interviews, then you're, you're SOL. So, gotcha. Okay. So, so they do matter. And I think one of the biggest things, as, as you transition from high school to, to college, and if this is the path that you want to take, the, the one of the biggest mistakes that I see students make is they go go in guns blazing and they go, OK, I'm going to take uh, my biology, my chemistry. I'm going to be the president of the pre-med club. I'm going to do all of this extracurricular activity. I'm going to start a research project. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And they don't understand that going from high school to college, the the transition of the the coursework, the course load, what's expected of you is like going from high school baseball to major league baseball. There's, there's just a huge difference there. And all of a sudden you're on your own. You have a syllabus that you're given at the beginning of the year and you're expected to stick to it. You don't go in every day and, and you don't have the teacher holding your hand like you do in high school. And so students typically fall into the trap of taking on too much too fast and they, they don't know how to be a college student. They might've been a an amazing high school student, but they haven't learned how to be a college student. And so what I preach is that you need to take it slow, learn how to be a student first. And then once you figure that out, then start adding things slowly and find that balance for you. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Cause that was kind of the attitude I took with my first couple of years of college. You know, I need to collect all the extracurriculars and have the biggest resume. And uh, I mean, I got lucky with the fact that like my course load wasn't very tough. Um, both because it was a business major, it wasn't any sort of pre-med thing. And I had done enough college, like dual enrollment stuff in high school that it was, 
it was pretty light to start out with so I could manage all those things. But if you're, yeah, if you're jumping in with a huge course load with a lot of really hard science classes and then you're trying to add everything, it's going to get overwhelming quickly. You're, you're not giving yourself time to acclimate to that sort of workload. So I definitely agree there. Um, I actually want to focus a little bit on that transition from high school to college. So somebody wants to be a med student. Uh, I'm kind of getting the idea that it, it matters a little less than I thought before what you major in in undergrad because you did exercise science. So is there like a limited amount of majors that you can choose that do lead to med school or could it be anything as long as you are able to pass the MCAT? Like how much do they look at your individual choice of major? They don't. Uh, what they okay. look for is that you take whatever prerequisites are for that particular medical school. And it's one okay. of the most frustrating things to me with the application process is every school has different requirements. Mm -hmm. For the most part, they all line up. They all want the year of biology, chemistry, physics, maybe some English. With the new MCAT, a lot of schools are adding in the requirements that kind of prepare you for the MCAT, like sociology, psychology. Okay. So there, there's the, those are the core uh, prereqs and, and you need to look those up for every school that you're interested in applying to and so as long as you take those and do well in those those are typically called the BCPM biology chemistry physics and math courses that that add up to your quote-unquote science GPA for the application uh, as long as you do well in those um, obviously you need to do well in your other classes too but do something that interests you too many students go, I need to do biology, I need to do chemistry because that's what will prepare me for medical school. And I think that's that's a, a big mistake too is just don't do something that you think will prepare you for medical school because nothing will prepare you for medical school. <laughs> it's a whole nother ballgame. Do something that interests you because ultimately at the end of the day, what happens is if, if you're doing a major and if it's a romantic language, if it's engineering, wh whatever it is, if you're passionate about it, and, and I know we can talk about this, about following your passions, because that's kind of a, a trap too. But mm -hmm. if, if you enjoy it, then you are more likely to go to the classes, um, put more effort into the classes. And when you talk about those experiences, your body language, your facial expressions, your tone and pitch in your voice are so much happier than if you go, yeah, I was a chemistry major, yeah. It was okay. <laughs> it's you're able. You, so you're during an interview when you're talking about that. When the interviewer goes, "Wow, I see you. You studied um, uh, Spanish as a as a major. Why did you do that?" And you go, "Oh, well, you know what? I I X Y Z and blah blah blah." And you just perk up, and it's you're you're infectious, mm -hmm. and so it it makes a huge difference. Interesting. So, do we, do we have any like actor majors going into med school? So it's funny you, you should ask. My, my, I think my biggest success story of a student that I'm working with, she uh, was a, a, I forget the major, she went to, I think NYU for acting, uh, was an actress in New York um, for a while during school, moved to Los Angeles to be an actress and acted for a while. And then some health issues with her father popped up mm -hmm. and that kind of said, hmm, this is interesting. I, I like acting, but this seems to be more of interesting to me and I can have a bigger impact. And so she switched and went to a post back program to get those prereqs because obviously acting, you don't do science and chemistry and all, all those. Yeah. She uh, applied to a lot of schools, uh, had 
11 interviews that she went on. She was invited for a lot more interviews. She went on 11 interviews. And last I talked to her, she had 10 acceptances. Oh my gosh. Because she had an amazing story to tell. And, and that's where I think a lot of students, getting back to grades and GPA and, and checking all of these boxes, when you do that and you're not passionate about it and you don't, you're not excited about it, you don't tell a good story. Yeah. And so she obviously told a good story. I did some mock interview prep with her. We got her ready and she just obviously knocked it out of the ballpark. Oh, that is awesome to hear. This is this is really starting to kind of come into line with a lot of the other career paths I've, I've researched. It's surprising to me, but man, that's awesome. So you said a post-bac program. Is that just like a kind of a program that's like an accelerated, I need to learn these things, but don't need a degree kind of thing? Typically, yeah. So okay. post back is post baccalaureate. So your undergrad gotcha. is your baccalaureate degree. Post baccalaureate is is this extra degree. Started at Columbia actually actually uh, after the Second World War, I believe, um, to help educate all of the the GIs that were coming back and really didn't have anything to do. Okay. And what it's become popular these days among non traditional students who are are figuring out the the sales job that they've been in or whatever job that they're stuck in they they go and they think wow i really wanted to be a doctor back when i was in high school but i didn't think i could do it i i think i can do it now and so these post back programs fill that void instead of having to go back and and do a full undergraduate uh, education again these post back programs are set up to to get those prereqs in prepare you for the mcat prepare you for the applications uh, and so they they do a really good job and there's a huge variety of them. If you go to the the AAMC website and, and search for postback programs, there's a whole list there of 140 plus, I think, different programs. Okay, and are these useful for students who aren't going into med school, or is they, it mainly just for that? I, I so I only know the pre med world. Okay. Um, so I obviously I know pre med postbacks. I'm I think there are postbacks for other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's, it's to prepare you in this case for medical school for, or for the application process really. Okay. So, so far my, uh, mind is blown and all my preconceived notions have been thrown out the window. You can major in whatever you want. As long as you get good grades, you get a good score on the MCAT. And if you need to go get those prereqs, you can go to a post back and not even have to go do an entire other undergrad. Um, one thing I know nothing about is what the MCAT is. So, I mean, can you explain <laughs> a little bit about that? The MCAT. So, the Medical College Admissions Test is the test, no like, no, unlike any other test. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's offered by the AAMC. It's been around for a long time. And what what it is is a test that covers uh, biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, biochemistry sociology, psychology, and, and critical thinking, reasoning skills. It's a test. There was a study that was done by uh, the Journal of Science or was published in the Journal of Science that looked at standardized tests for graduate schools. And the MCAT was the least content-heavy test. So it's, it's a test that makes you read a passage mm-hmm. and critically think about that passage. What's in it? What are they saying? look at the questions, analyze each of the answers and figure out what they're asking and go back and pull the data from the passage. And so oh, okay. 
it, it recently changed. April 2015 is, is quote unquote the new MCAT uh, or MCAT 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, the score went from a max score of 45 to now a max score of 528. So I, I just want to retake it and, and show that my grade increased like 2000%. That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, but it's it's now an eight hour long test. It used to be four hours. Now it's eight hours, which kind of prepares you oh for God. for the, the boards, which you take during medical school and after medical school, which mm-hmm. are also eight hour long tests. Uh, when, it, when you're in medical school, you become a professional test taker. So this is just the first step of it. Um, okay. wh- what the MCAT helps admissions committees do is put everybody on a level playing field. Obviously, with so many different undergraduate institutions, with so many people coming in as a non-traditional student now, grades are are hard to judge. What What is chemistry like at school A versus chemistry like at school B? Are they are they similar um, as far as difficulty? Is it is it an easy A in one and a, a not easy A in another? And the MCAT kind of levels everything, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody's taking the test and it, it should help level that playing field. Um, it weeds people out. Uh, a lot of people don't do very well on it. And yeah. and so it's 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 a brutal test. I, I was miserable with the test. Uh, I back I, I took it back in the day, back back when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> it was still on paper. <laughs> and I don't want to age myself, but it was it was still the paper test then. So it's and, not now. It is not now. Now it's all computer based. Okay. Uh, you you go to a testing center and uh, you take it there. But I I didn't I did well in the science sections. I didn't do that well in the verbal reasoning section. Uh, English is my first language, but I was a very slow reader back then, so that 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 hurt me a lot. So um, yeah, it's again it's it's one part of the puzzle, uh, but it's a big part. And uh, there are lots of test prep companies that are out there that will gladly take your money to help you prepare. And I highly suggest them uh, because they really do help the the average student. Okay. So um, this sounds a lot like the science section of the ACT. Uh, I don't know if you had to take the SAT or the ACT, but one of the things that surprised me when I took the ACT back in high school is that the science section didn't really ask me any questions about like my knowledge of science. It wasn't like, oh, what is, you know, this element number or anything like that. It was all read this data and we're going to ask you questions that test your ability to analyze it critically and to pull things from it and to read the instructions basically. Uh, so it's kind of surprising the MCAT is also like that. I was imagining it would be very content heavy. There, There is a lot of content, uh, mm-hmm. but it, the majority of it is, is um, analyzing. And so when I, when I talk to students and they, they, I, they are like, yeah, I didn't do too well in the MCAT. I got a, I got a 21. This is back a pre pre new MCAT scores, and so 21 was, was pretty bad. The average for everybody that takes the test back then was about a 25 or 26. Um, and what did you say the top score was? 45. And so that's that's okay. the average for people that actually take the test. Right. Um, the ones that matriculate have a higher uh, MCAT score than that. What does that word mean? Matriculate, get into medical school, start medical. Gotcha. School. Okay. <laughs> Big word. Sorry. <laughs> um, and so the when the biggest mistake that I hear students make is they spend too much time with the content. They they're learning equations, they're learning amino acids, they're learning this XYZ. Mm-hmm. And when I ask them how many practice tests did you take? They go, one, two. Did you take them in a real timed setting? No. So that's the 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 MCAT is something that you need to take a lot of practice tests. 
typically seven or eight, I would recommend. Mm-hmm. And you sit there and you take them for real. You you time yourself, you time each of the sections, and when your timer goes off, you stop the test. Um, and beyond that, analyzing what you got wrong, why you got it wrong, what you got right, why you got it right is a huge part. So the review takes a really long time as well. So it's it's a long process. If you can do it as a quote unquote full-time job for, for three months, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to study while you're taking a full load of, of courses and, and working and whatever else, it's hard. It, it really is. Yeah, because you said it's, it's an eight-hour test. So if you're doing a real-timed run-through seven or eight times, like that's 60 to 70 hours of, of real practice in there. Yeah, and then that's probably heavy. double that for review. Yikes. But, dude, you're confirming like everything that I've been putting into videos about test prep. Like you need to take it, take a practice exam, and you need to have it. Like if you can, sit in the room you're going to take it in, time yourself, all that stuff. And, yeah, it's good to hear that that's the most effective strategy for this particular test as well. Um, so maybe we have MCAT. Can you take the MCAT more than once or is it like your first score kind of set in stone? You can take it more than once mm-hmm. and it's really not the biggest red flag if you do. Okay. Um, with the new MCATs, they have put different limits on how many times you can take the test. I think overall you can take it um, seven times, which to me seems like, oh my God, I'd <laughs> want to shoot myself. Um uh, uh, I think for a in a calendar year, you can take it um, two times, I think, or three times within a two year period. You can only take it four times, and then um, and then seven times total. I think those are the numbers. Gotcha. And does it cost to take it? Yes, uh, it's several hundred dollars. Uh, you can apply for financial assistance through gotcha. the AAMC as well. Okay, it's it's expensive. The the process of applying to medical school is probably a, a five thousand plus dollar adventure um, when you talk about taking the MCAT uh, applying to medical schools is a cost you get back secondary applications from each of the medical schools and that's typically about a hundred dollars a pop uh, so yeah so and meaning tra- like you apply once and they're like okay we need you to apply again for like the yeah. short list yeah so it's it's a money-making scheme is really what it is so oh you gosh. apply through the the quote-unquote primary application those medical schools get that and typically within a day or two because it's all electronic now Mm -hmm. uh, they'll send you a secondary application most schools will just automatically send you a secondary application without pre-screening you so they want your money (laughs) they it's they're like sure 100 bucks i'll take it 100 bucks i'll take it i don't care that you have a a 2.0 gpa and a uh, a 480 on the mcat and there's no chance you're going to get into our school i want your money uh, it's sad to say, but that's just the way it is. But um, so yeah, Yikes. it's it's a lot of money. So if you're gonna go into this, don't fail it. Because <laughs> you're gonna invest a lot. Yeah, and and so that's where I mean, it, that's where application prep and interview prep and stuff that I do to help students. And and yes, it costs money to do that prep. But mm. in the grand scheme of things. I, I would rather you be ready the first time than screw something up and go and, and come to me afterwards with your tail tucked between your legs and go, yeah, I didn't really listen to you. I need help this time. And so now they're already five grand in the hole and I yeah. need to do it again. Yeah. I mean, this is just like anything else where you need to invest whatever is necessary to become proficient in your field. Like I want to become a speaker and I paid a 
professional speaker friend of mine. I, I bought his course because it will teach me how to do that. So, you know, same exact thing. Gotta love Grant. Just, yep, Grant's such a good <laughs> guy, man. Um, I'll be. Spe- I think I'm gonna be speaking like three times this year. So, and I have Grant to thank for a lot of it. Uh, so let's recap. So I think we've kind of covered the end of high school to application time period. So basically, major in what you want, what what interests you. Which I mean, that kind of just forms the basis of my major choice advice in general. Um, but you need to cover those prereqs that whatever med school you want to apply to is going to require. You can do a post back if you need to. Otherwise, you can just kind of work them into your program. You need to have good grades and a good MCAT score. You need to prep a lot for the MCAT and be willing to spend money because they're going to take your money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also shadow if you can. Anything else that's kind of essential? One, yeah, one big thing that when you're making that transition from high school to college, you're you're thinking, where do I need to go? What's my best opportunity to get into medical school? Or what mm-hmm. school is the best for me to get into medical school? And again, that's another kind of the, the wrong thinking. I, I like to say, and, and this is tweetable for you, uh, is don't go to a great school. Go to a school that will make you great. So find a school that, that suits your personality. The, the uh, class sizes are what you want. The location, the weather is what you want. Do you want to be close to your family, far away from your family? Okay. Whatever it is, those are the kinds of things that you need to be thinking about. Don't think that uh, that you need to get to Yale or Harvard or whatever it is because that's what medical schools want. Because it's, again, we talked about it this whole time. It's it's not what they're looking for. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think this perfectly leads into the money question. I know there's a huge disparity of cost of undergrad schools. Um, and obviously, like, med school costs way more than undergrad typically. But are there, like, cheaper medical schools versus super expensive medical schools? And what's the scholarship situation like? There are cheaper medical schools versus expensive medical schools. So, uh, typically, you're dealing with the public schools versus private schools for most. Um, okay. And if you're an out-of-state student at a public school, you're going to pay a lot of money as well until you can get in-state residency with whatever that state requires you mm-hmm. to do. Um, so, yeah, so state schools, I mean, you can you can go to school for $10,000, $15,000 a year for, for some medical schools. Okay. Uh, but the majority, the, the average medical schools, it's going to be about one hundred and sixty grand uh, oh as gosh. you as you're done with your education. So it's it's a lot of money, um, and it scares off a lot of people. And it's a huge uh, issue now with the diversity of students that are coming in. As you get a lot of lower uh, socioeconomic students that don't even try because they look at that number and they go, "There's there's no way." Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a physician, you, you uh, although we're not making the millions of dollars physicians were back in the 80s, uh, you still make a very healthy living. And if you live like a student long enough and pay back those loans quickly, it's it's very manageable. So, I mean, do you have any like average figures for how long it takes someone to pay off their loans? Uh, off the top of my head, no. Most of the loan repayment stuff uh, is done over this. It's like thirty years, twenty years, ten years. It just depends on how aggressive you want to be. Okay. Um, most of the the loans are going to be um, government subsidized loans, and so there's some flexibility there. Of if you work in a, a underserved population, and you're you pay back the minimum for ten years, then you're forgiven the rest of your loans. So there's, there's a lot of flexibility and it's stuff I've covered before on the podcast. So students are interested, they can go find that. 
Okay. Yeah, and I'll find a, I'll make a note here for the yeah, loan episodes because I know you've you've covered a lot of stuff on your show that we won't cover here. Um, it seems kind of similar to how the federal government does undergrad loans. I'm guessing the caps are much higher for med school, right? Yeah. So they have the, the subsidized loans and unsubsidized and Stafford, whatever all those terms are. So there's there's still a cap on the subsidized loans, and then you go into their different kind of loans, okay. but. It, it is what it is. Uh, obviously, with myself going through the HPSP scholarship, I went to medical school for free, and that just offered me so much more flexibility and and allowed me to do so much more. So I, I highly recommend that path. Okay. Even though I'm not in the Air Force anymore, I, I still highly recommend it. I'm, I'm actually in the Air National Guard because I, I love putting on that uniform and, and doing that part of the job. So, uh, so it's, it's huge. With the HPSP scholarship, that is an Air Force scholarship, right? Air Force, Army, and Navy all offer their version of the HPSP scholarship. Okay, and if you do that, I'm guessing it's like the standard four years active duty, four years reserve kind of thing, or is it? Yep, they okay. they typically do four year, uh, four year, three year, and two year, but you have to owe three years <laughs> scholarship. So yeah, four years um, that typically that start as soon as you hit active duty, um, and then depending on residency choices, there might be some more time added, but. Okay. That's, that's the standard. Gotcha. So let's talk a bit about the uh, interview for medical school. So you've gotten, you, you know, you did the application, they they uh, accepted your application and now you have to do the interview. Uh, what is it like? It's a miserable, brutal process. <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 Wouldn't wish it on my worst yeah, enemy. <laughs> if you haven't heard by now, like everything I'm talking about, it's miserable. The MCAT's miserable. The application process is miserable. The, the interview is stressful and miserable. Uh, for me, it's medical long, school was road. miserable, um, but it's it is long. It's hard, but it the interview is is something that's a skill and a skill that you can learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, too many students go into it thinking, "Well, I read the questions uh, online. I, I read the interview book, uh, and I'm working on an interview book, so read mine too." Um, <laughs> I, I read the interview book. I, I read all of those questions, and I, I kind of went through them in my head and determined how I would answer it. Let me tell you that you sound so much cooler when you talk to yourself in your head than when you actually say the words out loud to somebody else. Yeah. And so what I do, I, I, have, I do mock interviews with students and, and I just, I tear them apart really. Yeah. Um, and, and in a nice way. So they'll, I typically start off with the hardest question is tell me about yourself. And students that will typically go into, well, I went to this high school, I went to this college, I, I did this extracurricular, I did that extracurricular. I'm really dedicated, I'm determined, I love medicine, I love science, I love helping people, and that's who I am. <laughs> and and as the interviewer, I'm like, shoot me now, please, because I've heard that <laughs> 4,000 times already today. And and so it's it's a challenge that, that I go through with the students that I work with of, okay, what makes you unique? And again, we, we keep coming back to what sets you apart. Why are you different? What, are, what makes you unique? Mm-hmm. Because that's what drives, as we talked about earlier with the, the actress that has these 10 interview or uh, 10 acceptances, she said during the interviews, they were like, I, I have to find out, like, you were an actress? Like, tell me about that. And that's really what they talked about. Yeah. Um, and so... Typically, the, the standard interview is is a one-on-one interview. Sometimes they have access to your grades and GPA or your grades and your MCAT score. Sometimes they just have access to your essays. Um, that's that's the standard interview, just one-on-one. They do panel interviews where 
you're sitting in front of a panel of interviewers or a panel of interviewers and a panel of students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the new hot interview technique is what's called the MMI. And that came out of McMaster University in Canada. And it's the multiple mini interview. And it it takes away a lot of stress from students because if you have a bad uh, station in the MMI, it's again, multiple mini interviews. So it's typically about eight stations, about six-ish minutes a piece. And there, there, a lot of them are role-playing tech, uh, uh, stations. So you read a card and you you stand there for two minutes and you figure out what you want to talk about. And the card may say, um, you need to go in, that, that your patient's in the room and and you just found out that they have a diagnosis of, of HIV or AIDS. You need to go in and break the news to them. And so you open the door and you're the doctor and you break the news to them. And it's typically a real uh, actor or actress that's acting as the patient. And so they're going through what they've been told to go through to try to stress you out or freak you out or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And if you have a bad station, you need to regroup because that one person can't or hopefully won't derail your whole interview day. So if you have one bad station, seven good ones, hopefully those seven good ones could go yeah, they, they, he must have just had a bad one there. We'll we'll still accept him or her because they were still great. So yeah. that's a, it's an interesting technique. Some schools are using a mix of a standard interview process and the MMI. Um, so there's there's a lot of different things to prepare for, and uh, it's it's stressful. But again, if you prepare for it, if you're ready for it, then you'll you'll do well. You know the, the interview. Uh, sorry, the the interview is. If you have an interview, only about 15% of the applic- applicants get interview mm-hmm. requests for each school. So if you have an interview, you're already way ahead of the game. Yeah. You you can expect that that acceptance is yours and the interview is what's going to make you lose it. So what is the uh, acceptance rate? And like, So you said 15% of applicants get interviews. What's the actual rate of acceptance? Uh, overall from all applicants, it's about 44 ish percent last time I tried to calculate it. Um, so it's, it's low. Um, 44% of whoever got the interview. No, 44% of all applicants. Uh, if you get an interview, I think it's about 85% the last time I looked. How can only 15% get interviews, but 44% get accepted? Um, there are... 15% 15% get interviews. Oh, it's because um, it's funky math, right? Because each student applies to multiple medical schools. And so the, the you can't add up the math like normal. Okay. Okay. So it's, so the 44% is like overall to all. 40, 40, 44% of all students and then 15% of all applications. Let's, let's do that. Okay. So and each it's student might have 15 applications. Gotcha. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to stump me on that one. <laughs> yeah. Math stumping time with Tom. You know, I got to say, um, I can never be a doctor. Never in a million never years. Never say never. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. But uh, with all the difficult tests, the MCAT, the science I don't know, I think the thing that would scare me the most would be to have to walk into a room and tell somebody something like that, like that they have some life-threatening disease. How do you prepare for that? Um, your whole life, you prepare for it. 
by by being a good human being, uh, by having good mentors, by having good training, by by watching and learning how other people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that a lot of hospitals train students on now, and okay. residents and and physicians even uh, as as they go through their career, they go through retraining on on how to break bad news to to people because it's it's been shown that lawsuits come from poor rapport with patients not yeah. from bad outcomes and so it's it's all about building rapport with patients having that connection having that relationship uh it makes it easier uh, it's still terrible and sometimes patients don't want to hear the bad news that you have to say mm-hmm. um but it it's it's an interesting part of the physician patient relationship yeah so i mean it's that's got to be an integral part of your preparation. It's not just the the head knowledge. It's not just the MCAT. It's learning how to build rapport with somebody and learning how to be empathetic and everything. And that's where kind of the new MCAT has has seen the light of day. Is is we go okay? We need we need some psychology. We need some sociology on the test because we don't want the 4.0 students, the book nerds. We want people that that have human connection and can communicate and have empathy. And so that's, that's a big part of the application process. That's a big part of what they're looking for in your, uh, extracurricular activities. If you're willing to sacrifice uh, your time for others, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. So, I mean, Ryan, we're running out of time on this episode and we haven't even gotten into your medical school story. So I would love to have you back on the show sometime soon to kind of dig into like that second half of the process. But uh, for now, you know, people are curious, they want to keep learning, where can they go to do that? So you can find me at medicalschoolhq.net. I have two podcasts out right now called the Pre-Med Years and Old Pre-Meds podcast. And oldpremeds.org is now my website as well. It's it's a site for non-traditional pre-med students. But uh, at medicalschoolhq.net, you can find my podcast. It's all on iTunes. Uh, we've been out now for three plus years every week. And so we have a ton of content. And yeah, if you need help with your applications, with your interviews, come find me there. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hopefully it taught you something new and you found it useful. And I definitely want to have Ryan back on the show, like I said, to talk about the actual medical school process versus the pre-med process. So there's more that came from the future. I'm not exactly sure when, but it should be coming on down the line. Uh, Before I wrap up here, once again, if you want to check out the community, I'm really excited about it. So I'm just going to keep talking about it a little bit more. Collegeinfogeek.com slash community. Uh, You can discuss this episode or if you had questions, you can make a topic in there or do whatever else uh, is in there. You can answer questions or ask questions of your own. And uh, also, if you want to find my favorite resources for making your college experience a better one, I just added a couple the other day. You can go over to the toolbox at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. Got them all listed there. And that's all I've got. So until next week's episode, stay cute.